Thanks for tuning in to the CHS History Podcast, presented by Mr. Markham, Mr. Fisher, and Mr. Turner, providing historical perspective as well as insight and current events. Hey, God, I found an interesting fact of the day for you guys. Uh, the word quarantine, which is what we're all under right now, was originally used by Italians. It, it means uh, from the word 40, quarenta. And that was the length of time Italian ships had to wait outside of Venice to make sure they weren't infected with the Black Plague of the 1300s. Your assignment for this podcast, all history students need to rank the weapons from most effective to least effective on a Google Doc, pen and paper, and then you send that to me with a picture. Or you can do it on a regular Word document or just simply email it um, as as an attachment. You need to rank the weapons from, again, most effective to least effective. And also, trigonometry students, uh, this is Mr. Morris, by the way, I'm going to be throwing in some information on projectile motion towards the end of the podcast, and you can look forward to an assignment that I'll post on the classroom uh, regarding the projectile motion. In today's episode three, Weapons of World War I, we're going to talk about how the United States rode into this war on horseback and actually left on planes. So before we get into the weapons of World War I in today's episode, we're going to talk about a couple of inventions that started off. And the first one is going to be the wristwatch, and which was at this time a fashion statement for women. Men were not seen wearing these, but during the war itself, it was important and essential that men wore these in battle because they were able to coordinate attacks and also know the time frame and what time of the day it was. Uh, another interesting but uh, kind of unsung hero of the of World War One that doesn't have to do much with weapons was the zipper. So the zipper was invented, super handy. I mean, I'm counting three, four, five zippers in this room right now. And then the next one we're going to talk about is the trench coat. And the trench coat was a German. St- kind of fashion statement, but also used in trench warfare, hence the name trench coat, because using wool jackets before that, you used to get drenched with all the water and all the rain. These would repel the water and have a very practical situation for the men. Uh, daylight savings also, daylight, the Which we hate. We hate daylight savings time, even saying it. That's right, even saying it. So uh, daylight savings time became a thing when Germany used it to... Uh, make it more efficient for energy and resources during the war. And then it made its way east, the opposite of east, west, towards <laughs> England and the United States. With that as well, with the um, daylight savings time, they used that to really preserve coal production that was going to be in Germany. So they extended the day by an extra hour to try to preserve coal for the war effort. We also do uh, blood banks. I mean, we all had a... a uh blood donation the other day. Uh, this is an idea pushed by World War One because of the massive loss of soldiers' blood. As well as uh, plastic surgery was a new thing in um, World War One, and I know the Kardashians are really thankful for that. <laughs> as we get into weapons of World War One, the first item we're going to talk about are airplanes. As they start this war, the first role of this plane is going to be just recon, is to make sure to scout out where the enemy is located, where they can find other infantry units and also organizing their own uh, units as well. Then eventually they'll start arming them with a hand pistol. This will progress to a mounted gun, then eventually a mounted machine gun, which will lead to in-air fights known as dogfights. That's right. Um, some of the most effective dogfighters, American uh, Eddie Rickenbacker, and then you have uh, the Red Baron, of course, and uh, the Germans. That's a pretty good pizza right there, a Red Baron right now. Hard to find these days. Yeah. For my money, though, Jax is much better. Jax is a good call. I'm a tombstone guy. 
Well, DiGiorno's the best, but we're not all made of money. We're not rich. Uh, next one would be tanks. The tanks, um, what's crazy about the tanks today, uh, and if you look back, they're hardly recognizable. Um, they would only go three to four miles an hour, and more often than not, they're broke down. You see pictures of them just uh, end over end inside of a trench. Uh, but they were good for psychological warfare. I mean, there's, you're scaring the enemy. And the purpose of the trench, or, or the tank itself was to try to break through those uh, no man's land and also to get through the trenches and over them. Uh, flamethrowers might be the coolest sounding weapons, uh, but they were actually some of the most least effective weapons, but they came about in World War I, as well as poison gas, um, which came out first in the Battle of Ypres when the Germans used them on the Canadians. Uh, most of that was chlorine or mustard gas. And that's going to be really deadly, but it's hard to control where it goes because it can be impacted by the wind. Uh, more often than not, the Germans put it out. The wind shift a little bit, and now you've gassed your own, your own guys. And as far as with the poison gas, the effects of the gas itself, um, it would be very difficult to deal with that as far as inhaling the gas and then basically getting the feeling that you're drowning because your lungs are filling full of fluids, and that's how you're going to be some of the effects of poison gas. Uh, the next weapon on the list would be submarines. Now, submarines are a big deal. They changed the course of the war, most famously because uh, the Germans used them against uh, one passenger ship, or I guess not really a passenger ship because it had some weapons on it called the Lusitania. And it was, uh, it was uh, shot down by the Germans. It was a British passenger ship. It had a lot of Americans on it. Big, big decision to make the U.S. go in. Um, and then uh, Germany declaring unrestricted submarine warfare also led to the U.S. being uh, into, into World War I. The Zeppelin itself, um, created by the Germans, was going to be a, an airship that was unique compared to the airplane because of its uh, stealth and also its ability to scout and also recon and then eventually drop bombs. Far as before, or before we get into Morris talking about some major weapons, far as heavy artillery in the war, the Zeppelin's plan was to try to do aerial bombings. Um, they find out very quickly that, based off of uh, their lack of mobility and also um, being filled with hydrogen, being filled with hydrogen <laughs> itself, and not being able to defend themselves, they weren't going to be a very good uh, weapon to utilize during World War One. A lot of exploded Zeppelins out there. One of the biggest new technologies in ship warfare is going to be the Dreadnought. It's a giant metal ship that basically makes all wooden ships obsolete immediately. Uh, another big weapon and the second most deadly is machine guns. Uh, the, the Maxim machine gun was heavily used in World War I. Um, trench weapons. And obviously, World War I is a big war with uh, trenches. We saw a little bit of that in the Civil War, but uh, trench warfare in World War One is absolutely terrifying. Uh, you have very small uh, trench weapons like uh, little clubs that you beat people if they actually break through the lines. Uh, shotguns are commonly used as well as handguns. Machine guns really changed the um, tactics of the war itself because going in, you know, a lot of guys were kind of outdated. Like John Pershing, who's going to be the general for the United States Army, is going to use Civil War tactics, open field um, fighting, which will be made, be made completely obsolete very quickly with the machine gun because of being in an open field with someone with one machine gun, you guys can figure what's going to happen there. So that's why trench warfare is going to develop because of the machine gun. 
Another major piece of weaponry in World War I was uh, the artillery, which is basically just big guns, really big shells. They can shoot long range and do a lot of damage. And they have the highest death count of any weapon in World War I. So one that I want to focus on is called Big Bertha. It's a howitzer artillery gun. And it... Um, Created by the Germans. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I'm going to throw some math in here with this. There's some uh, a lot of what I think is pretty outstanding uh, information for this day and age. But they had uh, shells that weighed almost uh, 1,800 pounds. They could shoot almost uh, 30,500 feet, which is basically six miles. And... Uh, the caliber of the shell itself was 17 inches in diameter. So that's just a giant shell. The math that comes into this is uh, they shot at 400 meters per second from the barrel. And if they wanted to reach the six mile range, you can do some uh, projectile motion mathematics. I was hoping we'd get into that. Yeah, you're, you're welcome, guys. So projectile motion mathematics, uh, there's some really great formulas that come out of it, but you can uh, figure out the time of flight and the maximum height. Um, and, of course, if you want to get a maximum distance, you'll want to shoot at a 45-degree angle, right, trigonometry students? Um, so I'm not going to bore you with the major details, but I did some math on my own over the break, had a little time on my hands, <laughs> and I, I figured out that, if to shoot one of these six miles, it would be in the air for 57.7 seconds, and the maximum height would be about 2.54 miles in the air. And I got a lot of track guys that can't run a 57-second uh, 400, so that's, that's a pretty long time. Six miles, that's uh, thing is traveling. Um, and also you think about like a baseball player. If you really want to get the maximum distance from a throw, throw it at 45 degrees. And... Uh, the shells themselves had a delayed action fuse, some of them, so they wouldn't even explode until they went almost 40 feet in the ground. Oh, wow. And uh, my opinion is that it would really not be ideal to be in an area where one of these shells was falling, right, guys? <laughs> no, that's why all. you get uh, guys with shell shock at the end, which is our, their version of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. That's right. Yeah. Hey, we wanted to give you guys, uh, if you wanted more information about World War One, there's a couple of good movies out there. Um, one that I used to show my classes is uh, War Horse, which follows you know uh, a particular horse throughout the war and the experiences that uh, he and his owner go through. One that I've shown in my class before is Flyboys. Um, it kind of just gives you a nice illustration of what planes look like at the beginning of the war, how they're going to progress, and before the United States even gets into World War One. And then uh, I thought. I mentioned Schindler's List. That seems obvious, right, guys? <laughs> All right, hold on. Uh, wait a minute. That's a World War II movie. Oh. Yeah, that, one, that one's not going to work for this one. <laughs> okay, that's Nazis. Yeah, that, that I knew sense. that. Yeah. Uh, 1917, it's a movie that's pretty recently, and it's made to look like it's all one shot, so it's pretty pretty interesting. A uh, recent one is They Shall Not Grow Old is an awesome documentary that's from the British archives dealing with uh, putting the war actual real war footage into color and also with sound and the audio they did it and do a really great awesome. job speaking of audio there's a podcast out there really long uh but really great detail by dan carlin called hardcore history uh blueprint for armageddon and he's got a lot of really good podcasts but again these are six to eight hours so uh, hey quarantine would be a good time for this uh, but you don't have to listen to them all at once either. put on your beats uh and go hide in a closet and listen <laughs> to some podcasts guys what else yeah, do you got to do super nerds there all right
Hey, thanks for listening. This has been Mr. Markham, Mr. Morris, and Mr. Fisher, and I hope you guys enjoy week two of quarantine. Make sure you guys are staying busy, turning your homework.